0: catch you before you sit down and uh, we're gonna sing together uh, Lord when I came into this life you'll find that number 691
1: Our scripture reading today is from the book of Revelations, chapter 22. Look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me to repay all people as their actions deserve. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Favored are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right of access to the tree of life and may enter the city by the gates. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to bear witness to all of you about these things for the churches. I am the root and descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, Come. Let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes receive life-giving water as a gift. The one who bears witnesses to to these things says, Yes, I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of Lord Jesus be with you all.
0: Then we call on ears to hear the gasps of swim Red lonely lands how will they help without love's grasp to buy? Our gift saves less the least and frees our.
2: For the invitation to um, preach this morning. I haven't <clears throat> preached for four years since I retired, so I'm hanging on tight this morning, make sure I don't fall off the horse. Uh, nearly a hundred years ago, in 1921, Helen Barrett Montgomery was elected president of then the Northern Baptist Convention. Now the American Baptist Convention USA as the first woman president of any Protestant denomination in America. And it was a time when there was an attempted fundamentalist takeover of the denomination, 100 years ago, trying to uh, impose upon local congregations conformity to a creedal affirmation and a doctrinal statement. And President Montgomery uh, resisted that confronted it and resisted it with a message of liberty hundred years ago saying that the focus needs to be on the mission of the church not divisive theological issues. Three years later she was the first woman to translate the New Testament from Greek into English and have it published. And I wanted to read her translation today a passage from Hebrews chapter four. Let us then be earnest to enter into the rest of God, so that no one may fall into the same example of disobedience. For living is the word of God, and alive, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the severance of soul from spirit of both joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the very thoughts and conceptions of the heart. Let us then draw near with glad boldness to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our times of need. It was 25 years ago March 1994, that it happened, and I have not been the same since. And of all places, it happened not in a church or during Bible study or at a prayer meeting. It happened as Holly and I sat in Chicago's Goodman Theater for a Thursday matinee performance of Tennessee Williams' poetic and powerful play, perhaps his most poetic and powerful play, the Night of the Iguana. One brief night on a veranda of a seedy hotel in a rainforest above a secluded beach in Mexico, an encounter takes place between two wounded souls who in an unexpected holy way form a healing connection of redemptive grace, the wounds of one Touch the wounds of the other, and a bit of healing is found by both. One wounded soul is the Reverend T. Shannon Lawrence Shannon, an expelled and disgraced minister who was locked out of his church for, among other things, characterizing God in a sermon as a senile delinquent And now he spends his days as a tour guide in Mexico for a second-rate travel agency out of Texas. And he shows up at his old friend Maxine's hotel with a busload of screaming Southern Baptist women from Texas who are irate that Shannon, among other things, is not following the itinerary in the brochure like bringing them to this shabby hotel. On the same day, A New England spinster, Hannah Jelks, arrives with her elderly poet grandfather, broke and begging for a place to stay, for him to finish what will be his greatest and his last poem. Will also end up being his final resting place. And that evening on Maxine's veranda, Hannah and Shannon tell their stories And Shannon tells her that he dreams of the day when he can return to the church and as he puts it, preach the gospel of God as lightning and thunder. He says for him, based on every indication he has seen, God is a terrific electric storm, a God of righteous wrath, a God of, he says, oblivious majesty, oblivious that is, to human suffering oblivious to the need for grace and forgiveness, a punitive God, the kind his mother always warned him about when she caught him doing things she said he shouldn't have been doing. Shannon hopes someday to be able to rail at the people of God with the God of lightning and thunder. But Hannah, who carries her own share of wounds, says to him, I have a strong feeling you will go back to the church one day with this evidence that you've been collecting. And when you do, and it's a black Sunday, look over the congregation, over the faces for a few looking up at you with eyes like a piercing cry for something to still look up to, something to still believe in, And then I think, she says, I think you will throw that violent, furious sermon away. You'll toss it into the chancel. And then just, well, just, just what, said Shannon? Just lead them beside the still waters because you know how badly they need the still waters. Mr. Shannon, that's when it happened. 25 years ago, March, 1994. In that moment, in that play, in that place, a word from beyond the stage spoke to me. It came at a time in my life when I was approaching 20 years of ministry. And had of course for all those years been reading all the bestsellers on church growth and strategic planning and casting a vision how many nights had i stewed about casting a vision in 20 years for nearly 20 years right up to that afternoon in the goodman theater i've been trying so hard to succeed as a pastor of a growing church and at the time as president of the American Baptist Churches of Metropolitan Chicago. But the region was torn as we received into our association a welcoming and affirming Baptist congregation. And churches were screaming, like that busload of Baptists, upset that the itinerary in the brochure wasn't being followed. The tearing and screaming also spilled over into the church I served, where some members were loudly threatening to leave, where had already quietly made their exit. What should I do? What should I say? How should I lead? Where should I lead? Then I heard. Then I knew when Hannah spoke. It was to me and for me A word from the Lord as clear as a bell. Just lead them beside the still waters, because you know how badly they need the still waters, Dennis. Yes, I did know, because I knew how much I needed the still waters. The desert spirituality tradition calls this a word for your life, to be embraced and followed. And I did embrace and follow it as the word of the Lord to me and for me. It was a word that has shaped me as a person, formed me as a pastor, molded me as a preacher, from the pulpit beside the hospital and hospice bed, in the community, at the shelter, during a conflict. And to this day, this is still the word for my life, because there doesn't seem to be much peace and calm and rest and joy around these days. We are in the grip of a spirit of anger and anxiety and fear, a spirit of dis-ease and discouragement and discomfort. So the word for my life as a servant of the word is lead them beside the still waters. Living and active. That's what the writer of Hebrews says the word of God is. Living is the word of God and active. Helen Barrett Montgomery translated it. A discerner of the heart. And the way another Baptist forebearer, Edgar Goodspeed, put it, when he translated the New Testament in 1924, he said the word of God is a living and active force. A living and active force. I take that to mean this word to be served by each of us as a follower of Jesus is not confined to the gold edged pages of a leather bound book. And when John opened his gospel with, in the beginning was the word, it wasn't the Bible he was referring to. Otherwise it would have sounded like, in the beginning was the Bible. And the Bible was with God. And the Bible was God. Now the old hymn of the church puts it so well when from time to time we sing, beyond the sacred page, I seek thee, Lord My spirit pants for Thee, O living Word. Beyond the sacred page, God is a living and acting, initiating and creative, liberating and sustaining Word. A living and active force and presence that is unlimited and uncontrollable and unbound. A Word that is not to be dominated or domesticated a still-water word, a life-giving, life-enhancing, life-deepening, life-saving word. That's God, a word that became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. A word, when it has its way in us, lives in us. And grows in our hearts as a place where the living word wants most to be written, as a discerner of the heart. In David Edgar's 2011 historic drama, *Written on the Heart*, commissioned by the Royal Shakespeare Company in Stratford-upon-Avon to commemorate the 400th anniversary of the King James Bible, there is a scene in which a young 17th century Anglican priest is working on the Latin translation for the king's new English version. And suddenly into the room appears long-dead William Tyndale, who had given his translation a 100 years earlier. And the young priest picks up a Latin Bible and asks William Tyndale, and the truth that lies here, may all men find it? Any plowboy, says Tyndale, if in a language he may understand. But what if, asks the priest, what if when we look into our hearts we find it empty? And Tyndale says, oh no, no the love that Mary Magdalene did feel for Christ. That she did inflame and swell with it. That she could not abide, but it must burst from her body. For we write, said Tyndale, we write not a dead law with ink and parchment, but a living law, which only love and mercy understand. And he that hath not that written on his heart shall never understand it. No. Though all the angels should teach him, only love and mercy understand the word. Without love and mercy written on your heart, you will never understand the word for your life you have been given. Without love and mercy written on our hearts, We will never understand the word written with ink and parchment on the sacred page. Without love and mercy written on our hearts, we will never understand the living word of God beyond the sacred page. We will never understand Jesus. Even if all the best Sunday school teachers and all the unsurpassed seminary professors, and all the angels were to teach us. The word I heard that afternoon long ago from the stage of the Goodman Theater in a play by Tennessee Williams wrote more clearly love and mercy on my heart and has been a word for my life to this day. I still seek to serve that word as a follower of the living word, Jesus Christ. Lead them beside the still waters. Because Dennis, you know how badly they need the still waters. Granted, the way to the still waters may not be an easy path or a carefree path. It may be through a dark valley or a dry desert or a dangerous wilderness. The journey to still waters may be in the company of pain and suffering. Only weeks before dying in the summer of 1918, and experiencing pain and loneliness, as the world raged with a war and the rivers ran red with blood, a war he opposed, which resulted in most of his friends and colleagues and admirers forsaking him after years of proclaiming and serving God's kingdom with him. Walter Rauschenbusch expressed in a letter to a friend his personal experience of God and his deep intimacy with God, even in the midst of rejection and suffering. The proclaimer of the social gospel and social transformation said, My life has been physically very lonely and often beset by the consciousness of conservative antagonism. I have been upheld by the comforts of God. Jesus has been to me an inexhaustible source of fresh impulse, life, and courage. Rauschenbusch, as a servant of the word, had love and mercy written on his heart, and with and through what was written on his heart, he understood Jesus. It was to him the source of life and meaning and still waters, even in pain and suffering and rejection. I don't know what your word for your life may be, what word you have been given to embrace and follow, beyond ink and parchment, with love and mercy written on your heart. I only know that if with that love and mercy written on your heart you follow that word, you will be taken to a deeper encounter experience with the living word, Jesus Christ who is an inexhaustible source of grace and truth, love, and courage.
0: Response this morning by singing together, Come to Me, O Weary Traveler, number 183 in your hymnals. Quietly, and to uh, read together our call to prayer. As you care for us, so you invite us to care. As you are generous with us so you invite us to live generously. As you are always reaching out and gathering in, so you invite us to reach out. To welcome sisters, brothers, siblings, to believe that small acts minuscule acts offered in compassion can heal our world. God, we ask you to open our hearts to open our hands that we might your words for us, and that you might write love and mercy upon our hearts as well.
2: Spirit and the Bride say, come. Let everyone who is thirsty, come. Let anyone who wishes to take the still waters of life as a gift, come. This is the table of the Lord. Come not because you are strong, but because you are weak. Come not because of any goodness gives you a right to this table, but because you need help and you need mercy. Come, because you love the Lord a little and would like to love him more. Come, because the Lord loves you and gave himself for you. Let this bread and cup be for you a sign and assurance of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit, all meant for you if you will receive them in humble faith. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good.
0: so glad that you have joined us this morning for worship and so grateful to Dennis for leading us this morning as well and uh, thank you for being uh, a part of this experience together where we are reminded once again that it is the beautiful community that is created here uh, that helps to create the love and beauty in the world as we go forth. So now I invite you to stand as you're able uh, to sing together our closing song. Uh, send us out in love, send us out in peace. I'll sing and invite you to repeat after me. Send us out in love